0: Um, if you've got any negative feedback, um, keep that one to yourselves. <laughs> um, so thank you guys so much for introducing me. It's a true joy to be here. Um, and for those of you who I haven't met before, hey, thank you for having me in your house and, uh, and serving me so well. It's been lovely and uh, I look forward to hopefully meeting many more of you after this evening. Um, but oftentimes I find that it's true that um, the people closest to me, are the ones that are best at describing who I am and what I do, and so instead of kind of trying to put it into words, I went to some of those people and asked them, "Who am I? And what do I do? Can you describe me to help me introduce myself to some people that I've never met before?" And um, and this is kind of what they came back with here. So we've got some slides coming your way. We've got a diehard Liverpool fan. Come on, FA Cup. Let's go. It's been a good day for Liverpool fans with, uh, yeah, sorry for, for Chelsea fans, uh, with no chat and awful dance moves. Can I confirm I am a terrible, terrible dancer. Uh, second, we've got Jodie's the type of person to break an arm, it be miraculously healed, and then to break the other arm the next week. That's a true story. That actually happened last year. It was quite, it was quite something. Next up, this is my dad. <laughs> glowing reviews from the man who raised me and is supposed to love me the most uh, and then the final one I think is um, Amen. a less cruel version of Libby. Um, she did not mention we're, we're best pals and, uh, and this is how, how she thinks of me. Um, but great. And so then I asked them, okay, well, what do I do? How, how would you describe my day job, my nine to five, the things I live for? Uh, and we've got, reads books about Jesus, writes essays about Jesus, preaches about Jesus. Uh, this is a friend who isn't Christian, and uh, and so that's kind of what she gets of Bible. Uh, all of these actually were, none of these guys who describe what I do are Christians, so it's funny to see what they think. Uh, the next we've got, does stuff with uni students and the church, like pretty accurate. It's kind of what I spend my days doing at Vineyard Bath. Uh, and then I think finally, here. Yeah, uh, We've got full-time legend, part-time preacher. Um, I think that's my official title. That's going to be what's on my gravestone one day. Uh, It's the title of my CV as well. So uh, there we go. Glowing reviews. Um, So hopefully you know a little bit about me. uh, And Libby and Tim and the gang here have told me lots of lovely things about you guys as well. So it really is a privilege to be here sharing with you guys tonight. Uh, And as Tim mentioned, kind of sitting in this series of looking at lots of R words... Uh, And today we are looking at something that is incredibly close to my heart, and it is the topic of redemption. And why is this topic so important to me? Well, probably about nine years ago now, I was a fresh-faced first-year studying here at the University of Bath, and things were going pretty well. Um, I was playing professional football, I had great friends, university was going fine, Um, I was away from my parents and I had this newfound freedom. Life was good, and I used to live with a guy that actually some of you may know, his name is John Ball, and uh, there we go, I remember the first time I met John, and I thought, oh no, he's one of them, (laughs) he's a Christian, and he was incredibly lovely, and I hadn't really, I hadn't been brought up around faith, or Jesus, Um, but every single week, John would invite me to something Christian, be it CU, or to hang out with his friends, or here to church, And every week I would come back with an excuse, a terrible excuse, mind you, like uh, I've got to do uni work or or something to that effect. But one day he sat me down and said, hey, Jodie, I've got some really important news, but I can't tell you right now. You need to come to church so I can tell you. And uh, I thought he was just trying to get me into like this weird cult thing that he had going on. Um, But I was really curious and so came along to church for the first time in my life and sorry to whoever was preaching, uh, if it was you, Tim, uh, I didn't listen to a word that was said, and I just sat on one of those sofas at the back, and I just cried, and I cried, and I cried, and I cried. And and someone lovely came up to me and asked me what was going on and and whether they could pray. And I offered some terrible, uh, unconvincing excuse as to why I was crying. And then she prayed for me. Um, but I was just, there was something in me that was really stirring and, uh, and John and Imogen that night amazingly announced their engagement together um, which was a lovely, joyous moment and I was still sat there crying I couldn't quite put words to it and I wasn't a crier so it was kind of weird but there was this thing in me that I couldn't quite put words to it but in that moment I felt lost things were good but I didn't know where I was going And unbeknownst to me, things shortly would get way harder than they were at that time. Um, A few years later, my football career went swiftly down the path. Um, My mum sadly got quite ill. And uh, I turned to familiar things like drink and drugs and unhealthy relationships. And, um, And at this point, I was living over in New Zealand and a friend again invited me to church much like John did that day. And reluctantly, I went. And um, it was the second time in my life going to a church, and I walked in, and the exact same thing happened to me again. I just cried. And at the end of the service, again, someone offered to pray for me. And in that moment, she offered a word of knowledge that was speaking so directly into some past hurt that God obviously wanted to redeem, that I could no longer ignore it. And in that moment, my life changed. I realized that there was a God and he was relentlessly and totally pursuing me. I couldn't ignore it anymore. And so my story of redemption started really here nine years ago when I stepped into this very room where I heard the gospel for the first time in a church. I was lost and God faithfully searched after me until I gave my life to him. And it's never been the same since. Come on. (laughs) We've got one of those... So redemption is a really tricky topic to kind of get our heads around, right? There's all sorts of uh, language that is confusing. Um, So we're gonna get into it tonight, um, not by coming up with some tricky theological um, definition to try and remember, but through stories to kind of help us out. And this is kind of what Jesus did to explain stuff, right? Um, Throughout his teachings, there was something like 37 parables or stories that he told. And one of the reasons he did these was to take really complex words, ideas, or pictures of the kingdom of God and make it more understandable for people like me and some of you, I'm sure. And so picture this. We've got the religious people of the day, right? The Pharisees, that's what they're called. And they're there. They're complaining at Jesus and who Jesus is choosing to spend his time with. So Jesus is choosing not to spend all of his time with the religious leaders of the day, But instead, the outcasts, the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. So imagine Tim spending all of his time, not with you guys, but with prostitutes out on the streets. And they had some stuff to say about this. And uh, and so Jesus told a few stories about being lost and God's redemption plan. And we see these uh, in Luke 15. So if you've got a Bible, do grab it, or a phone, it'll come up, but it's also going to come up on the screen and I'll read it there. So it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And then when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So Jesus was an incredible preacher. Surprise! Um, He was preaching, uh, like I am tonight, from the scriptures. Jesus was also preaching from the scriptures that he would have known and would have had in front of him, otherwise known as the Old Testament. And as he taught, everyone who was listening who knew the Jewish scriptures, there would have been bells ringing in their head, right? So kind of like when you're watching a scary movie, and you're sitting there, and it's kind of tense and silent, and then the creepy music starts playing, right? We all know what's coming, And this is exactly what happens when Jesus starts telling this story. Here, Jesus is telling three Old Testament stories near enough verbatim, kind of word for word. If any of you have read the Psalms, you find Psalm 23 and David saying, the Lord is my shepherd. We also see some familiarities in Jeremiah 23. But especially check out this one from Ezekiel, who is a prophet in the Old Testament. And this is God talking. He says, behold, I myself will search for my sheep. And I will seek them out. And he continues with, I I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will save the strayed. So hopefully here you can start seeing lots of parallels between this story. And the words used here in Hebrew for the word saved uh, is actually synonymous with the word redeemed. And that can be said for many of those words in terms of saved and redeemed throughout the New Testament. Um, So when we hear saved, though it's not always an exact um, translation, you can often read the subtext into it of being redeemed. So it's kind of helpful to think about when tracking through the New Testament as well. And it's important because in this moment it's referring to the fact The the religious teachers that Jesus is talking to in that moment have mistreated the people in front of them, mistreated the flock that God has given them to look after. Instead, they've chosen to look after themselves, and as a result, all sorts of people are lost and are crying out. And God says, there will come a time where I will come to you as a shepherd, and when that happens, I will redeem the lost sheep. That's kind of what he's saying through Ezekiel. And then when Jesus comes, he defines his mission. He says, I have come to seek and to save the lost sheep of Israel. I am that shepherd that God was talking about in Ezekiel. I will find those people and I will bring them home. So as Jesus was walking around Galilee doing incredible things like preaching the gospel and raising the dead and healing the sick and cleansing the lepers, he was seeking and saving all of those which were lost. So Jesus is saying to anyone, Who can hear? I am that shepherd Ezekiel prophesied about. I am the very one that you are waiting for. And I am going to lead you home to the Father. So then we jump into the second story. And at this point, it's really important to remember who's writing these stories. There's a guy called Luke. And if you've never opened the Bible, Luke is one of the first um, of the books in the New Testament. He kind of writes together a lot of the accounts of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. It's a great one to get into. But also, Luke is a physician and a historian, so every word he writes is incredibly precise. Now, I often think, well, why didn't Luke just pick the best one of the stories and just choose that one? Because the three things kind of follow very similar patterns. But it's important to remember that Luke's done this on purpose. Jesus told these stories in repetition so that we, his hearers today, would understand and know that, firstly, this is incredibly important. It's really important. So then we follow on in uh, Luke 15, verse 8. It says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one of them. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. And in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now this is huge for so many reasons but one particular one God is such a relational God. In this moment Jesus is engaging the women of the time which was incredible because men and rabbis of the day especially esteemed ones would never have thought to talk to never mind teach the women of the day. So here Jesus is saying I am here for all of you as well. So then we've got the kind of like, this is the right hook, we've got the left hook being given in the coin story. And now Jesus is kind of winding up for his decisive, his final blow. So we move to the story of the lost son. And uh, go back and read through this over this next week, but I'm just going to paraphrase it uh, in here. So Jesus continues, he says, There was a man who had two sons. The youngest said to his father, give me, give me my inheritance. And so the father does that. Then this son heads off to a distant country. He blows all of his money on crazy things. And then a famine hits. He's got nothing left anymore. So he goes and he does just the worst work of all of the work. And no one helps him out. And he resorts in kind of like eating pig food to try and keep himself going. Can I grab that water please? Yeah. <coughs> Thank you. So eventually he comes to his senses. Thank you. And, um, and he goes back to his father and he apologizes and asks his dad to take him back as one of his servants. But before he could even get through his apology, his dad wraps him up in a hug. He throws his arm back around him and kisses him and says, Just don't worry about that. He calls his servants to clothe him, to restore his dignity. And, uh, and then decides to throw the biggest party he's ever seen. And he says, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. However, he remembers the older son. He was outside in a field kind of doing the work and he heard the party. And one of the servants told him that his brother had come back and a party was happening. But he got mad and refused to go in. So his father went out and he pleaded with him and he was having none of it but his dad replied my son you are always with me and everything i have is yours but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and now is alive again he has been redeemed excuse do go back through luke 15 this week and give those a read but we have to remember that jesus is answering the question Why are you hanging out with these prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors, right? And the modern reading often goes something like this. It's often the father is God, the lost son is the rebellious people. We've got older brother who are kind of legalistic Christians who look at the ways that some of these people are living their lives and think, how could they possibly be going out and getting drunk or being sexually immoral or lying or whatever else it might be? And this isn't untrue, but it's also not the fullest reading of what we could do with this. This is kind of not what Jesus is trying to say in front of his Jewish crowd in front of him. The kind of more accurate reading, the Jewish reading of this would be more along the lines of Jesus was on a mission to find Israel, to redeem the Jewish people. Now the crowds here are Jewish and they would have known their scriptures inside out. And their story goes something like this. They were in slavery for over 400 years in Egypt. And God steps in and miraculously redeems them time and time again. And, uh, and then Moses kind of goes up to the mountain of God and says, and God says to him, hey Moses, I'm going to be your God. You are going to be my people. I will love you. I will bless you. I will do whatever it takes to be a good father and to look after you. But hey Moses, you always have to stay connected to me. And to stay connected to me, you will always then know the fullness of life. But here's the deal. Moses, if you kind of disconnect me, or turn away, or choose death, then that is what you will be met with. And that's exactly how the story goes. They disconnect from God, they worship other gods, they walk away from God and into death. And eventually, a group of people come in, they destroy their city, they destroy their temple that they've spent years building, and they take them to be captives in Babylon. In other words, these people end up in a far-off land. They are lost. Does that make sense? Yeah. I realise if I ask you that, it's hard to say no. Um, (laughs) But if that is true, then do come and ask, and uh, small group leaders, Tim... Whoever else it might be. Also, please do forgive the croaky voice. I had a wedding yesterday, and uh, and the singing on my behalf was fantastic. <laughs> it was a <alive>. lie. <laughs> no one wants to hear that. <laughs> I'm truly an awful singer. So then you fast forward to the first century, which is where Jesus is teaching into, right? And this is the cry of their people. Their cry is, we want to go home. We want to be reconciled with our father. We are the lost son. So when Jesus was telling the story of the lost son in a far off country longing to be reconciled to God, the whole crowd knows that this is their story. So what is Jesus trying to reveal? He's saying, I am the one coming to lead you home. Like Moses led you out of Egypt, I now am going to be leading you out of this slavery, this new slavery that you were stuck in called sin. I am redeeming you. This is why I'm here. And to understand the older brother, brother in the story, we kind of need a little bit of history there. So when, people, um, when the people returned back from exile, from Babylon, where they were they kind of stuck they came back to their own land, and they began rebuilding their temple that had been destroyed. But when they tried, there was this other group called the Samaritans. If any of you know the, Samar- the Samaritan story, this is powerful. Because these people, the Samaritans, were trying to oppose their building of their new temple where they were going to be worshipping God, worshiping God. So the Jews hate the Samaritans because they were opposing what God was trying to do and getting in the way of building this new temple. So then in this story, Jesus is saying, I am the new temple. I'm aiming here to establish the kingdom amongst you. And you know what? Pharisees, the people you hate the most. Yeah, the Samaritans. You've become like them because they were opposing what God is doing. And now you are opposing what God is trying to do in me and establishing the kingdom of God. You're becoming the thing that you hate the most. So the older brother here is the Pharisees. Can you imagine God calling a bunch of us out, me I'm sure included, just like that? Kind of final bit of uh, dense theology. Well done for staying with me through it. Or at least pretending to. (laughs) (laughs) So how does God save us? If his mission is to seek and to save the lost, how does he actually do this? The answer is, Jesus is fully God. God. Not just a little bit God, not just doing a really good impression of God. He is fully 100% God. And that is the heart of Christianity. So Jesus is the Father coming to earth to redeem us. I think there's the slide there, Mark. Um, but it's not enough to say that Jesus is just fully, fully God. Because Jesus is also 100% fully human So we're not just saying here that Jesus is the father coming to run after the lost son because Jesus also became the lost son. Huge. Ever thought about that one before? I certainly hadn't. Jesus, in becoming human, became the lost son. And this is where it gets really cool. Think back to the first verse of that lost son story. It says, a father has two sons. And so for you Bible nerds, Tim, (laughs) where does your mind go to uh, when I mention the two sons? Some of you might be thinking, "Eh, maybe I should open that Bible again once every while. Uh, Some of you will be going there straight away. So if you think back, we've got Cain and Abel in Genesis. We've got Esau and Jacob. We've got Judah and Joseph. And this is exactly where those Jewish listeners would have been gone to again. So we're kind of in that scary movie moment. The music is playing as soon as he hears that there are two sons in this story. So I'm going to focus just on Joseph for one moment. And if you don't know the story of Joseph, he was one of 12 kids um, and he was really cool, but his brothers didn't think so. And so they sold him into slavery. Uh, pretty, pretty awful, right? Um, and after a while, his family just presumed Joseph to be dead. However, at some point, it became very clear that Joseph wasn't dead. In fact, he was alive, and at the right time, he was reconciled back into his family. So, so much overlap in this story. And if you've never seen that, go back and look between the two. It's really fun. And so Joseph, right, a son who was thought to be dead... And yet is alive and was reconciled to his father. And then we look in the story in Luke. There was a son who was thought to be dead. However, was alive and was reconciled to his father. And now we look at Jesus on the cross in the tomb, thought to be dead. And actually to the Pharisees, he looked an awful lot like the lost son. He was carrying so much sin and brokenness on that cross he was relationally distant from God. When he cries out, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He enters into our lostness to bring us home. So when Jesus is laying naked on the cross in agony, humiliated, ashamed, when he's crying out those words, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, Jesus experiences our lostness. He experiences our pain, our anxiety, our depression, our rejection why why would he enter into that lostness the answer is to find you to find me to bring us home how beautiful is that Jesus would enter our lostness to redeem us and there is no greater redemption than that and this is the fullest definition of redemption we will ever have Jesus was retelling all of Israel's story God's people lost in need of redemption for all of history. God, time and time after again, have redeemed his people, Jacob, Joseph, Israel, us. And like Joseph, like the son in the story, Jesus was thought to be dead. But two days later, Jesus rose from the grave, physically defeating death and was reconciled into that right relationship with God his father but in doing this he did something different to the story in here in Luke or in Joseph or in any of the others in doing this he redeemed you and I into that relationship with God too and so when we read these words he is saying to us tonight in Saint Max wherever else we might be across the city, you descendants of Jacob, you descendants of Joseph of Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. So let's land with a couple of questions. Get practical. How do we apply this? You might be there thinking, thank the Lord that that history lesson is over. <laughs> or maybe you're just looking for something to grab onto for tonight. So what? Like, what's all of this got to do with it? Here's the difference that I think all of this makes. Firstly, The ministry of Jesus was to redeem all of Israel by entering into her pain and leading her home. But he also wants to do that with every single one of us tonight. So what areas of your life do you need Jesus to enter into to bring you home? I want you to realize that it's this mission of Jesus who is alive here today and here by his spirit right now. And he wants to seek and to save any part of you that is feeling lost or distant from him. Where are you lost? Where are you hurting right now? He can bring you home. When Adam and Eve messed up in the garden, what did God do? He wanders around the garden like, Adam, Eve, where are you? He's saying, I want to find you, not because I want to punish you, but so I can lead you back to me, to back home. To safety, so I can heal you. Where are you hurting? Let him lead you home. And if you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, well done for being here and putting up with me for so long, that's for sure. But I made the best decision of my life that I've ever made six years ago when I said yes to getting to know Jesus. Receiving his redemption and allowing him to lead me back home. And I promise you, if that is you, this is the greatest adventure you will ever go on. It's not always easy, that's for sure. But he does promise that he will always be with you. And my invitation to you guys today is, will you let him in for the first time? Would you come and get to know the man that has changed my life and for so many people in here too? And finally, a second thing for you guys is, in what ways are we as his church entering into the work of Jesus' ministry and joining in with his redemption plan. He says, I want to find you. I want to bring you back home, but I also want to send you out so you can bring others back home with you. I want you to get so close to the people that are hurting around you that you feel their pain. This is the heart of Jesus. And I realized when preparing this, there is one main reason that pastors and preachers have kids, um, and I think it's mostly so that they can just use analogies. Um, <laughs> so if you're in here tonight and you don't have kids much like me, uh, you're going to have to get creative with me, right? And if you, if you do have kids, then you've got a leg up on us. So just think about this, right? Think that you've got a kid. Uh, if you've got a kid, think about that child. Um, if you've got more than one child, think of your favorite. Uh-huh. <laughs> And you're at home, right? And you call them down for dinner. And they ignore you, so you just presume that they're ignoring you because they're this angry teenager at the moment. Um, This is my child, anyway. (laughs) Um, And then you call them again, and again, and again. And they don't answer, so you, you go up there and you realize that they're not in their room. And then you go searching around the house. You're starting to become a little bit more panicked, like they're not in the house. You call them, they don't pick up. You call some of their friends, they're not answering. And then after a while, you really start panicking that they are lost, they've gone missing, they've ran away, whatever else it might be. And so you call the police, and it's becoming more and more urgent. And then you decide to go and gather all of your neighbours and your closest friends and your family and anyone who might know this child. And they all come and they gather outside of your house. Okay? And you're telling them, this is what he was last wearing, this is where he might be, this is his name, these are some of the people that he might be with, And then at the right time, you tell them to go, to go and to find him. Imagine now, if everyone just stood there. You feel that feeling? Imagine the disappointment. Maybe they all start turning to each other and think, yeah, maybe this is a good strategy about how we go and find him, or... um, They start coming back to you with reasons as to, I just don't think I've got the right tools to go and find him. I don't think that I've got all of my stuff together, uh, so I can't possibly go think about finding him. Imagine the disappointment, the frustration, thinking that nobody cares. And if God's main concern is redeeming the lost, and as we, as searchers, as gatherers, as followers of Jesus... If all we do is gather together, we are surely, this is my conviction, not going to experience the fullness of what he has for us. It's my experience when I see someone meet with God for the first time, that the presence of God is with me more tangibly than ever before. And it's kind of unsurprising because it's in the context of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where Jesus finally says, "Go, make disciples, baptise them teach them my commands, that he finishes with this decisive line saying, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God is with you when you are joining in with his great redemption plan. So will you guys join in? And this isn't out of obligation or guilt or shame. And I'm sure for so many of you guys in here, you are already doing the stuff. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, this isn't because we have to or because we need to get our numbers up or anything like that. This instead comes as an overflow of God's grace and a true understanding of the good news of Jesus. Knowing that we have life eternal. But more than that, we have life here and life to the full even in this very day. We do this because we know there is no better alternative than living a life in relationship with him, even in the fear or the, the, the face of fear and embarrassment, as someone might say, no, I've been on the other side. I know what a life is like of traveling, of sports, of crazy living. But I can promise you guys that there is no greater fulfillment in this life than going from being lost To being found, to being known, and to know the Creator of the One who has created all of this and you, to being redeemed by the One who loves you the most. So Jesus says, I have redeemed you, and one day I will bring you home completely. But in the meantime, join in my plans of redeeming the rest of my people, those who are lost. Tell them there is a way home, and tell them. His name is Jesus.